Hello, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Why Theory. As always, I'm your host, Ryan Engley, joined, as always, by co-host Todd McGowan. Todd, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, Ryan. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, there was a sport last night, so I'm feeling pretty good today. So, uh, uh, Me too. <laughs> NFL draft. There was, um, Kara and I Kara mentioned this. There was this tweet from, like, weeks ago that she showed me that um, some uh, desperate... Uh, um, uh, spe- uh, I don't know, like wife or, or, or girlfriend or someone said that. Can, can there please be a sport so my my boyfriend stop? That's what it was. So my boyfriend stops talking about his sourdough bread starter. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, wh- that's good. Yeah, it's pretty good. So there was a sport last night. So finally, so I hope that she's yeah. got a, 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 a moment's peace. Uh, so yeah. anyway, what are we talking about today? We're going to talk about the missing signifier. The missing signifier. Okay, so this um is. Well, I mean, is this is this like a? Um, I don't think this is a term that is um, I don't know imminent to the like to the study of psychoanalysis, uh, you know, generally. But I, I I think that it's a way of um, kind of threading together a lot of uh, different and important concepts, and and we are certainly going to root that in um, a, a look at some passages from Alenka Zupancic's uh, What is Sex, right? Right. So she's the one, I don't know that she invents the idea of the missing signifier, but she really brings it to prominence in What is Sex. So I think you're right. Like that's a, we're, we're going to look at that book and see if we can take, see how, where we can take this idea of the missing signifier and what it, all of its implications are. Because I think that's what she's interested in exploring in that book. So even though it's the title of the book is What is Sex?, it almost is a book that could be titled The Missing Signifier. So mm-hmm. we're going to take up that avenue of mm-hmm. exploration. Yeah. And I think that, like, um, you know, we were just talking about this. If, if um, maybe it makes the, maybe the, the title is more uh, beguiling and interesting for that reason, uh, left as it is. But if it's the other way around, if the title of this book is The Missing Signifier, like, or What is Sex? Then you're like, ah, okay, sex is the missing signifier. Like, from the title of the book... You're going in, like you know, uh, looking for for something like so, and really, you're asking different questions. You're not asking what is sex. You're asking why is sex a missing signifier? You know, like what makes it, it its inclusion in uh, the symbolic? Uh, what, like why why is is it uh, deadlocked? Right? right. You're asking kind right. of different questions, and this and this is like ultimately like her interest in the in, in the idea right. in, the, in the first place. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so this idea that, I mean, it's, it's related to Lacan's idea or maybe it is Lacan's idea of the real, right? Like the, mm-hmm. so the missing mm-hmm. signifier is the point of the real within the symbolic structure, the point where there's something that can't be signified mm-hmm. that's nonetheless essential to the structure. So I think that's the key, the, the key starting point is mm-hmm. that we have a structure it, there are signifiers all around, there's ideas all around, but there's one point at which there's something that can't be signified. And it's interesting that Lacan's name for that is the signifier of the barred other. So, yeah. you know, that's, that's, a, that, that's what she's, that's her name for that signifier is the missing signifier because the signifier for the barred other, that is the signifier that signifies the incomplete or the, I was going to say incompletion, the incompletion mm-hmm. or the lack within the other, that mm-hmm. that signifier cannot be made part of the whole group of signifiers. Its exclusion is constitutive of 
the symbolic structure or the the symbolic form, whatever it is, it needs that one exclusion. So it can't, there's a way in which it can't, it's a, it's almost a way of saying that the symbolic structure can't be conscious of mm-hmm. its own mm-hmm. form, right? Because its right. own form is missing something and it can't signify what it's missing. Yeah. It's a, it's a, a structural incompleteness that is actually what completes the structure. Right. And, and I think like, so, um, I'm going to throw a couple, so these are, these are the two examples I always go to for when okay. I'm, when I'm talking about this, I want to see what you think about them. One, okay. um, okay. So I'll give the one that, that I like, uh, I say equality in capitalism is Good. the, is the, like, it's the, it's the point of the real is the deadline. Like it cannot be included for the system to be, for, the, for right. the structure to be what it is all, but it is exactly what makes it as a structure. So it's this, so like when, uh, and, and I, I try to do this to, to show that like, you know, why conversation needs to be pushed away from within, within capitalism itself. Like you get, like there's a lot of like nominal, um, leftist figures who kind of hedge and they, they, they say that it's like crony capitalism is the problem. Right. Ever, right. Ever, right. You know, well, I think then, Elizabeth Warren even uses that term, doesn't she? Yeah. And it is, it is, it's like a, it's a hedge that like, well, it's not capitalism. That's the problem is, you know, it's, it's, it's a way of being within it. And what it denies is that it, the whole edifice is constructed, constructed and depends upon, uh, the impossibility of, of equality. Like that's the, so that's, so that's one, one example. I'd like to have the, like a larger, um, capitalist critique. Um, and the other one comes from, uh, Baju, which is, um, infinity. And that this is the, the notion. So infinity is not a number. It is right. a sideways eight. It's an idea, but it is the last number. It is, you know, it, it, it closes the field of, of numbers. So we don't need to think about anything bigger. You know, we don't, we don't need to keep counting. We know that there's infinity. So that's the last one. But like it's impossible to 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 really conceive of what 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 that looks like, um, and it is this it is a number that like it's it's so I I don't know he said this in a talk I, I think that I, I I watched in a class and I, I wish I, I I could direct uh, listeners to it but I don't know I don't know where where it is but that's his example so it closes the field of numbers it's impossible but we need it like it, it's it's the last number but it is this like it's this kind of like impossibility within the system yeah i like that so the so then the the eight turned on its side the symbol for infinity mm-hmm. would be a signifier that's actually replacing the signifier of the barred other right yeah, like the yeah, yeah. so so it's actually the signifier replacing the missing signifier so it yeah, kind exactly. of stands in for that yeah, I yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, so that so that's important. I think that's important too because within this um I mean, Malenka it, it, it's certainly not the case that just because there's a missing signifier that there is n- nothing, right? Like that like there the, there there's something that takes the place of it, but we need to look at, you know, what the it, how within that there is this Im- impossibility of of signification. So I think that that's really good. Yeah, like the sideways 8 stands in for like an incomprehensible or not incomprehensible, but incomprehensible, um, like concept, like in an right, because it, yeah, right. Because it couldn't like the, it's very lack of a signif a, a signifier within the structure 
is mm-hmm. what constitutes the structure as possible, right? So if you could actually, like if the sideways eight really was that signifier, then that wouldn't be it. Like the no. whole, then the structure wouldn't be able to be, because it, it needs this absence in order mm-hmm. to, to, to exist as a structure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So those, so those are my, those are my two. two I examples. like those examples. I, yeah, 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 it's good. Yeah, I hope that's helpful for for listeners like in the, to initiating into it. So um, Alenka does not use either of them because, of course, not because it's not her interest. Um, right. And uh, but so what what does she talk about? So let's let's get in let's get into that. Yeah. So her example. I mean, does she give examples? I'm not sure mm. that she does give examples. Does she? Yeah, maybe you're right. It's probably just. Well, I think. Um, it's really just sex, isn't it? Is right, the, the, right, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, that's it's really like the title of the book, and yeah. that's the main concept. But what's interesting is that sex is not. I guess sex is what's missing, right? But yeah. but but the missing the the idea of the missing signifier is for her the key to understanding, or maybe because we never understand, but the key to wrestling with the question of sex. Right, mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. That it, what's interesting is it seems like it's just a purely structural thing. There's a signifier missing. How could that be tied to sex? And that's. But mm-hmm. her point is, no, that that actually is what. When we talk about sex, what we're really talking about is one signifier missing, and then how we relate to that missing signifier. Because the psychoanalytic name for that one signifier missing is castration. Mm-hmm, so, right. Mm-hmm. So it's the castration of the other is the thing that can't be integrated into symbolization. And then the the attitude that we take up to castration is our attitude toward toward sex, I think. That's her mm-hmm. idea, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, and that's where, I mean, th- this is why I think that she begins the book with that... Um, the, with the line from Lacan that like for now he's talking, he's not, he's not fucking, but he can have the exact same, uh, what I don't I want to get the word right. Uh, I'm going to pick up the book. Uh, he says, say satisfaction. Yes, exactly the same satisfaction as if I were fucking. And, right. uh, so, and she, I, uh, that's why I think she begins with the, like the Lacanian twist on, um, uh, sublimation, right. Sublimation. Like, cause the, uh, I think the way that sublimation has like kind of entered into like more general usage is that like, Oh, well you can't do the thing that you want. So you do this other thing and you get some sort of like ersatz pleasure from it, but it's not, right. it's not the real thing. But right. sublimation for Lacan is no, you get exactly the same thing through doing something else. And I think that like a castration uh, and the castration of the other, like that is the, I mean, that's like the, precondition for that even happening right like this like you the the only way you can enjoy at all is if there is this kind of structural incompleteness like if there is this this um i don't know a priori minus one which is a something that like i think comes clear in a line that we can get to later but but does that does that make sense everything yeah no i think that's right i think it's right that that the the structural incompleteness is the site of sex and is the site of enjoyment. I think that's what you're saying. That's the site of enjoyment. So that, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a fascinating idea that enjoyment isn't just diffuse all throughout the structural order, Mm -hmm. right? Instead, Mm -hmm. it's actually isolated at one point, that point of the castration of the other, the point of the lack in the other, and that every enjoyment has to go every enjoyment that you have in some other space has to in some way reference that 
point of lack or else it's not going to be enjoyment. And I think that's, yeah. I find that a fascinating idea. And I, I feel like, I think that's right, but it's hard to, th- it's hard to kind of think or, through that. Yeah. Well, it seems, it seems obscure, uh, right. you right. know, like, like it, it's not, um, it's not as immediately, um, it's not as immediately graspable. Yeah. Because it's kind of like you're, you're like, you're pulling through like, like ropes, right? Like through like, uh, uh, different, different ideas. It's sort of like, um, sometimes in, I'll I'll give this as an example. Sometimes when I'm, I'm writing an an article or, or, or just something that I will get wrapped up in a, like a long string of prepositions like this through that by order of this, in this, and I'm just like, this is like nonsense. Like this idea right, is, right, is, is, right. is is like it's it's like it's you don't want to. <laughs> I guess you you don't want to write about ideas as though it is food being uh, going through a cow's digestive tract, right? Like you don't <laughs> right. You don't want Clearly that. Like, not. Right. You know, it's too bad. too many too many systems, too many ideas. So how would we? Yeah. So how would we start to unpack that and make it more well, like sensible? I guess. Yeah, I think like I think the first thing is to think about. Like what would be an example of the way that enjoyment is clearly attached to the missing signifier, and then mm-hmm. how we're how how when we're in another position within the symbolic structure, we're necessarily accessing it. And I think maybe mm-hmm. the clearest way to think about it is in terms of fantasy, right? Like, okay, like our fantasy has to include that point of absence or lack, or else it's not going to be enjoyable. Because the whole point mm-hmm. of fantasy is to deliver, it's a enjoyment delivery mechanism, right? Like right. that's the, that's what fantasy is. That's why we engage in it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I guess the question would be, well, if this idea is right, then we would have to find a point within every fantasy where we're touching on that space that's missing or the, the missing signifier. So mm-hmm. let's start with your fundamental fantasy, Ryan. Can we... <laughs> All right, cool. No, no, no. That would no, be, that would be we'd have to, the program would be banned for its obscenity. Actually, the whole I point is you couldn't even articulate. I couldn't it, even right? articulate. No, that's really right. good. That's helpful. That like um yeah, no, I think this is good uh to to get into the idea like the idea of fantasy like because it's so um I don't know, isn't it it's kind of close to um Santom, right? Like it's just yeah. it's it's almost it's it's too it's too proximate to to even Right, right, to, right. To because get but, to yourself, yeah. I think that's exactly right. Because your, it's it's if it's your fun, if your fundamental fantasy, then it's your way of concocting your enjoyment. And mm-hmm. if you and 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 it necessarily needs to be unconscious. Because if you make it conscious, then it become. I think you're right. Then you feel this uh, Brechtian Verfremdung's effect, right? You feel mm-hmm, alienated. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, you feel alienated from your, you're like, that's not me. I'm not that. I don't, you know, I yeah. don't really want to engage in all those perverse activities, right? Like that. And, and I, so I think that's the, that's so, the, so I think you can't articulate it, but if we just look at, let's look at somebody else's fantasy then, cause that way we it's <laughs> a lot. Well, it's a lot easier because I mean, I think that, that, um, look like the idea like fundamental fantasy that's a that's a lacanian phrase and it's like what uh it's not so it's it's like i think there are two important points and and one well actually they both hook back into what we're saying is that a fundamental fantasy it's not uh i don't know just a support to uh to like our symbolic reality but it's also a protection against castration right like that's the right 
that's the, that's the most, so it like, so fantasy protects you from like the full weight of recognizing something like uh, uh, truly traumatic. By, by um, doing what? By, I think that what's interesting is what yeah. it does, right? It narrates castration. Mm. And mm. by narrating castration, like that's the protection from it. Mm. I find that a fa- I mean, that's pretty good. I think it's fascinating that fantasy has to narrate because, and you know, like every fantasy you have is a narrative, right? The things yeah. happen in a certain order. Mm-hmm. And without that narrative, then we're, we, we would have to confront castration just faced, you know, like just full on. And I think, I think the so fantasy structure gives us a way to instead confront it differently. I love this. So do you think when a stand up comedian tells a story, like that's an, that's an effect of, of the fundamental fantasy, you yes. know, like, like, cause it, it's yeah. often, it's often a story where they didn't know what they were doing, you know, that, uh, or they did too much without knowing they, they were like, like awkward in some way. Like th- this, this happens a lot. Like, um, I, I, I can't readily think of, well, th- I think this goes back also to, um, us saying that like, like, uh, you know, obviously that we do not observe the moratorium of talking about Trump on this podcast, but where Trump doesn't, he's not funny. He doesn't tell jokes because for Trump, I, this is like a general, like commonplace wisdom, but it is true that like Trump's always the hero or the victim at the same time of like his own, uh, stories and like stand up comedy, like jokes, like you're kind of never the hero. Right. Like, right. you know, like it, it's kind of like it's prescribed out. Like you, you just like, uh, it's foreclosed maybe I should say. So, um, yeah. Okay. So for, you see fun of fundamental fantasy at work in the like narrativizing of, uh, j- just something that, uh, you were not prepared for in the moment that you experienced it and right. you, 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 you flip it to make it funny. Um, right. And you know, right. can, I, I will give you a, a personal example. Um, I was, uh, let's not get t- too close to your fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, all right. Have I ever told you about when I got robbed when I was working at Walmart? No. no. Really? Oh man. Okay. okay. So I will tell, I will tell this story. Um, it was, uh, I started working at a bigger Walmart cause the one that I worked at, um, in Massachusetts was in like kind of a, a rural area. And like, I saw like the same customers all the time. There was this okay. Irish guy named John who always came to talk to me. Like he, even if he wasn't buying anything in the electronics department, he always came. So like I knew the customers, it was like, that's it nice. was, it was, yeah. yeah, it was, it was nice. It, it was this weird thing where like, it was like, oh, this feels like a family business, this like evil corporate, you know, th- this All thing. Right. Right. So that store closed down for a little bit for a remodel and I had to work in a much bigger store, um, like elsewhere. And, uh, there, uh, it was like the first couple weeks there and I was like getting like reacclimated to like a much bigger department, like new people, all these things. And, um, it was late. I was working. It was maybe like 11, uh, 11 PM, something like that, like around that time. And a guy came in flashing a lot of money and he was just waiting for someone to talk to him. And I talked to him. I asked him like, you know, what do you need? Like, and he said, like, I'm looking for a lot of games, a lot of game systems. And I'm not going to belabor the, the, the story, give like the, the, the full details, but like I loaded this guy's cart up with just thousands of dollars of, of electronics. And it was suspicious to me while I was doing it because like no one, I had just never seen someone. No one buys that many. No one buys that much. It was, it was so much stuff. 
And he started to walk away from the electronics department. And I was in kind of a bind because there was a local law, which is that I had the keys to open the, the cages and the cases. And you're not supposed to leave the department with, with while holding the keys. But also, you have to pay for everything in electronics. And he was just walking away. So I was like, I'm not going to obey the local law. I'm going to go kind of after the guy who's got the thousands of dollars of merchandise. And so I left. This is a detail that will come back later. Uh, but So I left with the keys, which was the Walmart sin. Okay. That I committed. And I'm walking with this guy and he's engaging me in conversation. And it was just very, very clear to me that he had, he had no intention of paying for any of this stuff, like at all. Okay. And at this point in time, uh, the do you remember when like self-checkout registers were like kind of like oh, yeah. Yeah. before the the regular registers? Yeah. Like, okay. And now they're all like all even or, or whatever. Right, but even, yeah. yeah. So um, he walked past them and I grabbed his cart and I said, I, was, I said, sir. <laughs> Sir, I cannot let you go any further uh, with without paying for this. And he leaned over to me and he said, listen, man, you know how this is going down. You're going to let me walk out of this store with all this shit because I've got a gun. That's what he said. Wow. To me. Okay. Yeah. And I let go of the cart because I get paid hourly. And right. um, and he runs out of the store. The The alarms go off. Um, and the people greeter was like, why didn't you do, did you pay for that? Why didn't you stop him? And I was like, he's like, I'm like quaking. Yeah. And, and I was like, he said he had a gun and she was like, Oh, and I go back to electronics and I get in trouble for leaving the department without, (laughs) with with the keys. And, um, anyway, then I have to, I, I go, I tell the manager like what happened. And this was so funny. The security guy was having Chinese food in the back room and he wasn't looking at the, (laughs) uh, he was, it was really, really funny. Um, so I had to fill fill out a police report. I had to testify in front of a grand jury about this. So they Um, got him. They did eventually get him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had to pick him out of a photo array because they don't do like the, they don't do the thing like happens in movies. I don't think where you go to see the people. I don't, I don't the think lineup. that happens. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, whenever I told this story afterwards, um, to like, I made it like a joke and it wasn't until I testified in front of that grand jury that you should have told it in a joke form. Then too. I know, I know I probably should have. Yeah. That would have been pretty good, but that yeah. would have been, but like, I, like I was, uh, I was avoiding my, <laughs> castration in like in in the terms of this podcast and this conversation i was totally avoiding it and and i i made it this funny thing like isn't this weird um and the there's even more there's even more um uh, avoidance of uh, of of castration in in the story because whenever i would tell it to like to men to the men that i worked with yeah they would always do this like oh yeah he uh oh he said he had a gun did he show it to you and i was like (laughs) and i was like no I was like, oh, well, if that happened to me, I'd have said, show me the gun. And like, first of all, no, you wouldn't have. Second of all, if he said, I'm going to walk out of the store with all this stuff or I will punch you in the face, I'd have done the exact same thing. Right. Like, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But like me telling that story also became an opportunity for the men that I worked with to show how they were much more manly than I was. Uh, and to, you know, to sort of assert their own. So anyway, I don't know. I offer that story up. I, I don't know if that, if that right. serves a purpose. Well, what does it suggest that there, that the, you turn the, what's interesting is the story is good, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's good because, and it, it's enjoyable to listen to because it has this connection to castration and to what's missing. Right. And mm-hmm. if it didn't, it wouldn't be enjoyable to listen to, I think. So, because what we're, 
Like what well, is and the also story? There's, and there's also a begin. Like I, I think part of the reason why I thought of it was just what you said that like you know what my concern was in telling the story was that there was a beginning and a middle and an end. Right. You know. You know. Like yeah. I was concerned. I was like you, you used the word narrate. I was concerned with the narration of it, and that's another way for me to also like avoid that. The, the the traumatic thing is it like right. oh well yeah I got to tell it right but, but although yeah. it's a double thing right because yeah. the narration does allow you to avoid it but it also allows you to encounter it that's why I think fantasy mm. is always works both ways like fantasy delivers us from trauma mm-hmm. but there's no fantasy that doesn't have like that story is a kind of little fantasy and it yeah. does it's still it has a really traumatic part to it of this encounter with the person with the gun and and that's an encounter with like your own encounter with your lack, right? And mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and also the lack in the other. That's what's interesting too. I think mm. that it's that it's that that the castration has to go both ways, and I mean it's also confronting the lack in Walmart, right? Like that may be the <laughs> that may be in some way that's the thing that I think like. I find the idea of Walmart being robbed itself <laughs> kind of traumatic because yeah. I view Walmart as such a behemoth that the idea of robbing it it just seems like how you can't rob walmart like that's a like it's this it's so evil and big and it's like it can't be robbed but of course it can be robbed yeah and so i think i just want to add on to this i was um the reason why i had to testify is i was listed this is the official phrase that the i that i was told by the um police officer who who was in charge of the case i was listed as the human victim in the case (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the Walmart was the real victim. It was the real, just, exactly. I was just the human victim. You they were the lowly human victim. Yeah, yeah. They gave me one paid day off too for a half shift. I should also say that for, for five hours, not for, um, not for a full uh, nine hour shift. It was, it was pretty, it's pretty, pretty funny. I, I also like it as the, um, as a, as that story is like a challenge to the, um, corporations or people because if they were, then they would have been the human victim in that case, but right, it, had to be, right, it had to be me right, as, right, as offered right. up as tribute. But anyway, I interrupted you uh, uh, on the, on the Walmart. Uh, no, I think, I, castration. yeah, I think that's the key. I think that, that even more traumatic than, than your, I mean, than your castration is Walmart's. And I think that's the always, I mean, that's what the idea of the missing signifier is. It's not my, I mean, I don't have a signifier mm. either, but it's also yeah. the fact that the other, we see this blank space within the other and that's the thing that's that's traumatizing and that's what the fantasy tries to narrate a, a, a round. But I think this, to get back to the point about why fantasy, I don't think it can, it narrates around it, but it can't avoid it. And I think mm-hmm, that's, mm-hmm. that's, I think indicates that the missing signifier, what's not included within the symbolic structure is the source of all possible enjoyment. And if, you know, because if it wasn't, then we would construct fantasies that never encountered any lack at all. But I mm. think every fantasy, like the story you just told, like every fantasy involves, what I find fascinating is they, they all involve us not totally having the object, right? Like there's yeah. some, there's there's always something blocking it. This is a stupid fantasy. But when I was a kid, I used to, and this is so I mean, this is so commonplace that it's even dumber. Um, but I would fantasize. I would there would be some girl I would like. This I'm in like middle school, whatever. Mm-hmm. There's some girl I would like, and I would fantasize that she got in a car wreck, and I would come and rescue oh, her from the right. car. Right, right? right now, right. so so then I I get to be the hero, but I'm still mm-hmm. there's still this incredible trauma that happens, mm-hmm. and right. I have to and I have to I only gain access to the object after I've 
not had it, right? And then after yeah. I'm, and then. And you totally avoid the trauma yourself in that. I story. avoid the trauma myself yeah. in that case. Yeah. Like I'm just coming in after the afterward. But the, but the trauma is essential to the having of the object, right? Even though I've displaced it, that's why it's clearly a fantasy, right? I've displaced mm-hmm. the trauma onto the other. But, right. but nonetheless, it's essential for me. Like the, the, I didn't just, my fantasy wasn't just, oh, I get the girl. <laughs> right, 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 Like that would be, that would be a boring fantasy. No, there had to be right? a detour into uh, lack. Into and, lack, uh, right, mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. right. Like, right. It's like no one fantasizes. Like I just get, there's this funny joke in When Harry Met Sally. It's not even a joke, but um, Billy Crystal's telling his, his, this dream, recurring dream he has. And it's, mm-hmm. it's this elaborate thing about how he's a sex He's at the Sex Olympics, and the oh yeah, and, the, and remember the East yeah, German right. judge gives him yes. a bad grade, but it was yeah. his mother disguised mm-hmm. as an East German judge, uh-huh. and so that's really funny. And then Meg Ryan just says, "I just have uh, some guy just rips off all my clothes, and then <laughs> that's it." And that's it. Woke up. That's <laughs> the torrid sex fantasy. You've been right, having. that's her torrid sex yeah, fantasy, yeah, and so yeah. it's funny because that's not a fantasy, really. No. Like there's no, <laughs> there's not the there's not the encounter with lack. That's mm-hmm. that's that's necessary for the fantasy to provide enjoyment. That's why, and everybody watches that's like, that's not an enjo- enjoyable fantasy. Whereas mm-hmm. Bill, Billy Crystal's is, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. No, I think that's great. I think, um, okay, so this is really helpful. So like, okay, so this is, so we've, we've, I think we've given like a, like a framework for beginning that, um, you know, that thing that I said uh, could too easily seem like food being digested through a cow's uh, tract, right? That like, like through so many different things. So, okay. So we have this, um, we give this concrete example of stories. And like, I think that's a good filmic example too, of like uh, enjoyment needing um, lack and also the being predicated on um, a <laughs> missing signifier that we need to understand uh, as being as, as, uh, like castration being the prerequisite um, for it. Would that be the right word? Would you, would you say, or I, cause I, I'm always wary of that. Cause I don't, cause there's like a, a kind of um, common understanding of like the Lacan's three orders of imaginary symbolic and real is that they, they happen in a progression, which they don't, you know, right. they, they happen right. all at once. And so I don't know, uh, maybe I don't want to say pre, like castration being the prerequisite for the, uh, no, I think that's like, right. I think, I think, that's, I think okay. in this case it's right because I mean the, 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 so castration is the point at which the real intrudes in the symbolic, right? Like that's the, okay. yeah, so it's yeah. not like one is, okay. one is coming after another, but, mm-hmm. but, but the, but the idea is that I think that you're exactly right the way you put it, that castration is the prerequisite for enjoyment, which is seems, mm-hmm. it's, it, it, what's great about that idea is that it seems so counterintuitive, right? Like mm-hmm. it seems mm-hmm. like, even if we look at it, like castration means, oh, they're like if you take it literally, it means like you're losing the capacity for at least sexual enjoyment. Right. Although you're yeah. not really, because there are yeah. people that have actually been castrated that still enjoy, you know, like because sexuality, just like the you were just talking about the Lacan quote before that, you know, mm. I'm up here teaching and I still. It's as if I'm same satisfaction as if I'm having sex, right? Like mm-hmm. that's why you can be castrated and still be a sexual being. But there's a scene, there's a scene in Game of Thrones that that um that, that I, I I don't know it's from a season people don't like, but that they they try to they try to argue the same point. 
Okay. So uh, I think that's yeah, right. Yeah. I think so it's, it's right. I mean, it's also out in culture, I think is, is so is right, that, like right. you're not, I guess I'll put it this way. You're not saying like a wild thing that like no one, like it's in, you know, it's on the HBO show. Like, you know, like, like the, it's, it's out there. Yeah. And I also think that it goes along with the way people like a, more broad-minded approach to sex, you know, like I think it yeah. fits in with the sort of cultural tendencies. But I, but I think what's what's interesting is that that the nonetheless castration, at least literally, seems to imply no sexual enjoyment. But the right. psychoanalytic idea is that it's actually, like you said, I think the word is right, a prerequisite mm. for it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's it's hard to it's strange to think through that. I think that it's because the that the loss is actually, and I think it's because enjoyment isn't a tide that enjoyment has to be based in what's not there. Like in, it has mm-hmm. to be based in loss. Otherwise uh, it, it it's, it's, I think the only other version of it is imaginary. Right? Like mm. the only other version is you need an image that creates a sense of presence, which is always an illusion, but it's really through what's not there that you enjoy. And I think like Mm -hmm. the fantasy gives is a perfect example of that. Yeah. Every enjoyment has to have reference to an absence. Right. Right. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's right. And I think, you know, if you think about um, the way in which uh, fantasies about people that are in the position of absence function, then I think that Mm -hmm. makes it, it, becomes much more concrete, right? Like mm-hmm. the, like if you think about the way um, who we attribute more sexuality to, it's people that are in this position of like within the symbolic structure that they're they're in the position of castration or lack, which is again odd. I think it's odd that we think about it in those terms, but I think that's, I think that's, I mean, it's odd that, that would be true. I mean, it seems mm-hmm. it seems mm-hmm. counterintuitive that that castration would be the key to, to and, and occupying that position would be the key to being more sexualized. But I think yeah. that ties in, I think it ties, I think in some way that's Alenka's whole point in writing what is sex. And I think that's true, that that is actually true. Yeah, well, this is, I think this makes a, a good transition to, like there were two, I think there were two sections of the text that we wanted to, to look at. Is that? Yeah. 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 So, uh, so this on, if, if people have it at home, uh, page 47 in the middle, uh, Alenka writes, uh, writes this, um, uh, in this alternative perspective, which I think we've, we, I don't have to, like, she has her, her own, uh, setup for what that means, but I think we've also just like pretty well set up an alternative perspective and, and it's, it's basically what she's referring to here. Um, in this alternative perspective, the human History, uh, which she has uh, as also story, uh, H.I. has um, a parenthetical around it. So history and story is kind of, um, uh, I don't know, bifurcated, um, which also fits in with what we were just talking about, about like narrativizing uh, uh, one's castration. So but anyway, I'll read the sentence uh, without interrupting myself. In this alternative perspective, the human history begins not with the emergence of the signifier, but with one signifier, quote, gone missing. We could indeed say that nature is already full of signifiers and at the same time indifferent to them, and at some point one signifier falls out, goes missing. And it is only from this that the logic of the signifier, in the strict sense of the term, is born. Signifiers start to run and to relate to each other across this gap. In this sense, and from this perspective, speech itself is already a response to the missing signifier, which is not there. Speech is not simply composed of signifiers, 
signifiers are not the sufficient condition of speech, the condition of speech as we know it is one signifier less. So that's, I'm going to end the, end the quote there. And uh, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Yeah, so, it's, so it, it goes against what is the usual reading of Lacan, right? They, that Like the usual reading is Lacan identifies the subject with the emergence of the signifier. Yeah. And I think she's going right against that by saying, mm-hmm. no, it's actually the emergence of the subject is when one signifier is taken away. Right, and that right. that's, the, that's the difference between, I mean, she's, she's even saying the difference between human and animal is this, to be human is to have one signifier removed, whereas to be animal is to have all these different signifiers at your, at your, your paw f- tips, right? Like, the, <laughs> like nice, nice, nicely done. <laughs> you know, sorry, that was <laughs> no, it's okay. corny, but, um, but I think like that's the, I think that's right. And I think it goes against, again, like the way that we usually think of language as this ultimate break. That yeah. It's not just language that, that even, I think it's a way of saying like, even animals have language. They just don't have this one signifier removed from their linguistic structure. And, you know, it's interesting that people, and I think Lacan even says this, that, that animals make, I think, I know he does actually, when he's <laughs> talking about the, the way in which you can tell the, the difference between human and animal is the human can lie by telling the telling truth. Telling the truth, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, that the, and the animal doesn't, so it just lies. And, it, and, the, and the, for him, this is the, I think we talked about this in the, in the podcast on signifier and sign, that for mm-hmm. him, difference between animal and human is the difference between sign and signifier. Yeah. So Alenka like is really pushing against that, I think, and saying, no, to be an animal is to have all these wealth of signifiers at your disposal, but to be human is to have one taken away, and then that changes everything. Yeah, that's pretty fascinating. And she 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 pushes against the like received reading of Lacan as a uh, as as a theorist of language. Like that is a a, a dominant. I mean, which isn't. It's not to say he doesn't do that, but there are ways in which, you know, he gets uh, canonized as like moving um, psychoanalysis uh, to structural linguistics. Right. He added structural linguistics to Freud. That's I think that a lot of people think that if you want to understand Lacan, that's just one in one sentence. That's it. Right. Yeah. And I think what she is adding support to is what this is the phrase that I like to say is that. Um, Lacan is a structuralist of the real. That's that's how that's how I like to. Like yeah, to I like that. I, you've used that before with me. I really like that that formulation. Yeah, I gotta I gotta get that out there. I gotta get that yeah, published. Yeah, I mean, this is this is this is a publication, of course. Uh, but uh, but even but in 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 writing, I'll put that out there. Um, right. But it's I mean it's it's I think it's a part and parcel of what she's talking about. Like again, like you know, we we've, we've been talking about the. Um, the, the the real as this like this this deadlock this like impossibility of um, of signification th- that nonetheless signification depends upon like in general right. um, and th- this is Lacan's interest like this is this right. is his, his his whole you know theoretical edifice is around you know unlocking uh, how, like how how this happens and how these this i mean i I guess maybe this is um well i don't know i don't know if this is like alenka moving away from lacan or or alenka like rereading lacan maybe maybe it ends up being the same thing but but this is the 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 point of the lacanian perspective is to see how the missing signifier um acts on us 
and to like, right, re- right. reposition Lacan on signification as to, right, to being right. being about that. Right. I think that's absolutely right. That that that, that what. It's not that we're affected by the signifier or by signifiers. It's mm-hmm. that we're affected by the signifier that we don't have access to. That's yeah. missing. And you know, mm-hmm. there is a way in which, and she makes this connection. There's a way in which it's 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 just doctrinaire psychoanalytic idea. Mm-hmm. The missing signifier is the uncon. That's where the unconscious is, right? Yeah. Like that's yeah. and that, you know, she even says like we don't have. We're not conscious of the missing signifier. We're unconscious of it. So we have this right. unconscious knowledge of the missing signifier. But the point, and I think this this ties into this idea that is clearer in Lacan than in Freud that we can never make the unconscious. There's something in the unconscious that absolutely resists coming to consciousness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and I'm not mm-hmm. sure Freud totally thought that. I think Freud thinks we can do that. We can bring it all into consciousness. But I think there's this. He's more There's, of an optimist. Yeah, I think he was, uh, ironically, because he's yeah. very pessimistic and <laughs> in civilization's discontents. But I, I do think um, that for him, that that um, you know, that there is that possibility that doesn't exist for Lacan, and, and clearly doesn't exist for Alenka, because her po- whole point is about the way in which there's this barrier to conscious knowledge, mm-hmm. because and it's cast it's so. What she's nodding up together is missing signifier, castration, and unconscious. Like all those mm. things are are in. She's bringing them together, and I think that's a. I think it's important to think them together. To think that the that castration is actually what we are unconscious about. Yeah, I mean, this is um, to. Is it okay if I go back to the text? Because yeah, is, yeah, th- yeah, this is all yeah. um, on page fifty three, which I think we're both in agreement is like this is the argument of her of her book. It occurs right here um, is she says the signifier at stake is thus a most peculiar one in order to understand what precisely is at stake here. We can relate it directly to the following crucial claim made above the emergence of the signifying order directly coincides with the non-emergence of one signifier. And at the place of this gap appears enjoyment as the heterogeneous element pertaining to the signifying structure yet irreducible to it. In this precise sense, the enjoyment at stake essentially belongs to the unconscious and to its gap, not as repressed, but as the very substance of the missing signifier, which, as missing, gives its form to the unconscious. So that's this is everything, like all right, all, right. all right there. I like how she says not as repressed. So she's, yeah. but it's it's interesting because she doesn't really say this. I mean, she does say it, I think, elsewhere. But, but you know, Freud has this notion of primal repression or urverdrängung, mm-hmm. like that that idea of primal repression is important for her because that's what's, so it's castration or the signifier of the lack and the other that is primal, primordially repressed. Mm -hmm. Whereas all the other stuff that gets repressed gets added to that. But that's not really, that's not what's absolutely crucial. What's absolutely crucial is what's primordially repressed. And that's the site of enjoyment that then, I mean, that's the thing that all enjoyment has to be routed through. It's interesting. Do you think um, this is kind of a like a sideways topic here? But it, like, I think it's, um, it, I don't know. It suggests itself as being interesting. Like, like, do you think that there is a, um, a tension in this idea and in this approach that would separate uh, theorists from clinicians on this point? Because it seems to me that like that this would be on this point you might say like not not just that freud is more of an optimist but more of a clinician 
in in mm. the claim about bringing bringing into consciousness this like kind of uh, th- this kind of repression and that right. For, I see why you're saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes and, and, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and and Lacan in you know his dissatisfaction with. Well, okay. I don't. This is not a contentious claim. I'd, I'd, I'd like. I'm not trying to make this uh, provocative. That he was uh, dissatisfied by being clinician and like he did all these like dastardly. I'm not. I'm not saying that at all. But like, it's clear that the orthodox way of uh, approaching Freudian psychoanalysis, Lacan was dissatisfied by, and he wanted to find other ways to. You know, and we've talked about the uh, the short session or the punctuated session, like like his his way of like quickening like analysis. So, um, and then I wonder, like like Alenka, like out of out of further remove i don't know that i'm not sure that she's ever done clinic work has she i'm not i'm not really sure as a patient not as a a, therapist as a patient not as a therapist okay so i think you see like i think this is a like a it it almost announces itself as a as a spectrum from uh like if you you like you could see freud wanting to hold on to like finding a way to represent the unconscious consciously because like that's that certainly uh, impacts the the clinical practice whereas for a theorist it's like more tantalizing and interesting to just say that's not possible because there's there's you know i don't know like, like what do you think about that no i think that's exa- i love that idea i think it's absolutely right and i think you can see how it's the clinic that made him think like oh i can get them to talk about all these things that were repressed right and mm-hmm. and and so it seems like what's you know why would what's primordially repressed be different and i and like if yeah. if if the key is to bring up what's you know what can't be spoken and i think mm-hmm. that's the i mean that's the psychoanalytic yeah. idea to to speak what can't be spoken then mm-hmm. i think you're right if you really are committed to the clinic then that you can understand why that would someone would make that error cuz i think it is an error to think that everything can be spoken and and also i think you're right to say that lacan as a theorist especially you know someone indebted to logic and and structural ways of thinking yeah. that that allows yeah. him to see the way like kurt gödel's incompleteness theorem is really important for lacan right like mm. that you might almost say that that's the entire basis for what we're talking about that a that a signifying system has to include one signifier like that's mm. very much in line with the notion of a structural incompleteness, right? And so I think that. So I think that that's. You're right. I think you're really right to say it's Lacan as theorist that is mm-hmm. pushing up against Freud as therapist. That's really interesting. Yeah, that's uh, that's a, it's a. It is pretty fascinating when you see the like you see those divides in the uh, in, in the work and it's and it's well like, Lacan would be pissed that if he was listening to this podcast he would be really <laughs> pissed about the way we just had it saying that because that was a way people insulted him by yeah. saying like you're really a philosopher not an analyst and he really mm-hmm. wanted to say no I'm all my insights come out of my practice that which <laughs> just clearly was not true Right, right, right. Especially leaning on the uh, the girdles text that you just referenced. Right. Well, I mean, right, and also you know Russell's paradox, which Russell's paradox is the class of all classes that don't include themselves. And then the Mm -hmm. question is like, do you include that set in its or that's that class in itself or not? Do you not include it in itself? And you can't. It's indecipherable. And so Russell's paradox was was it originates in a letter that Russell wrote to Gottlob Frege when Frege presented his complete system of classes. And, and Russell was like, wait a minute, there's one little problem with this. And Frege had a, 
you know, he had a, it was a catastrophe for him because yeah, yeah. because it it ended up. I mean, Frege had a he tried to work out a solution, and Russell himself tried to work out a solution to make logic work without this yeah. hiccup. And and Russell's solution is interesting because his was just like we'll just they're just two different levels, and there's certain questions you can't ask about things on one level. So which yeah, it's like a solution that does. It's like a it's it's a solution that doesn't really follow the logic of the system, right? No, it begs so, the question, right? It just right, says like, ah, com- oh, there's just two, there's just two levels, <laughs> right? I really appreciate the fact that you use the term, the phrase begs the question in the correct way because Thank you so much. <laughs> most people use that to see like it demands the question, which yeah, of it asks is, the question, but right, no, yeah, not, yeah, begs the question is you've made you've asserted an argument that you've not even uh, announced and especially not proved, and then right, you skipped the question, yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah, right, 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 right. Anyway, um, that's our little grammar lesson. <laughs> a, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there you go. That's the lesson. <laughs> grammar <laughs> pedants uh, unite. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, but I think that I mean I I so anyway so that the that solution Russell's solution is is terrible. Right. But Lacan tries to integrate that paradox into his way of thinking about the symbolic order. And mm-hmm. I think that's the that's what Alenka is really getting at. And that's the yeah. idea of the missing signifier is really tied to this paradoxical point that both is in, but it's it, it it's out, right? It's in, but it can't be in. And if you, you put it right. in, then it's out. And if it's out, then it has to be in. So it never there's never a way to clearly align it with mm-hmm. the symbolic order, and yet the symbolic order requires it. So we can take the example, I think, of Hitchcock films, Hawks mm-hmm. films, Lynch films. Let's just say those three. Sure. And then we have a set of all... So those are sets of films, right? Mm-hmm. And then we have a set of all sets that don't include themselves. So all of those, all of those filmmakers' films would be included because all the set of Lynch films is not a Lynch film, right? Mm-hmm. So they, right, they, right. they are clearly sets that don't include themselves within themselves. Right. So then we have a massive set of all the sets that don't include themselves within themselves. And then we take one more step and we say, well, do, I have another set of all the films, all the sets that don't include themselves. Is that, do I include this set of all the sets that don't include themselves within the set of things that don't include themselves. And the question, the point is that it's, it's absolutely contradictory. Like if mm-hmm. you include it within, then it doesn't belong. Right. And if you don't include it, then it does belong. And so right. that's the point. That's the whole point of Russell's paradox that either, either way you choose it, you mm-hmm. lose. So right. either way you dis, you, you create the, like if you include the set of all sets that don't include themselves within, then it doesn't belong, but if you don't include it, then it does belong. So that's the idea. And for Lacan, this was a basic contradiction. It's interesting that Russell calls it a paradox, or it's known yeah. as Russell's paradox, but it's right. really Russell's contradiction, right? And it's that point of contradiction from which I think he derives the idea of the real. And the, it's the, the, the notion that that signifier of that paradox is the signifier that's missing. Like that's, that's what can't be... The set of all sets that don't include themselves is precisely the signifier that's missing within mm. every symbolic structure. Man, that was that was some hard work that you just did. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so yeah, I sorry. so I want to no no really I want to just underline that that was that was that was great that was excellent. 
because uh, it's because that's convoluted and easy to get um, just leave it a mess. But you you put a bow on that. And I think that's really right, good. Right. Um, I think that's really interesting that um, do you. So I, I want to ask you a further question. Do you really think that that he gets the real more from yeah. Russell's paragraph to paradox yeah. than, well, from I mean, Hegel, than from Hegel? Then from Hegel, yeah, because his reading of Hegel is so bad, I don't think he okay. could get it from them. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, because I don't think, right, like Hegel's notion is that absolute knowing is the knowing of this incom- this failure to be complete of this of this overall system, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's mm-hmm. that's it. I think that's absolutely clear in Hegel, but Lacan doesn't think that's absolutely clear in Hegel. <laughs> yeah, so okay. so he that he does not get that idea from Hegel at all, and I think it seems like that. The idea of, of Russell's paradox or Gödel's incompleteness theorem, I think that is really what's pushing him in the direction of the, of the real and the necessity of the missing signifier. I mean, he also mm. kind of gets it from just from Freud, right? And the idea of the unconscious, and he, he's trying to think the unconscious structurally. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I think that that is, if you think the unconscious structurally, then, that, then what you come up with is there has to be one signifier that's missing. Mm. That's pretty interesting. And then what he probably, this is probably why he said it, it, that his ideas come from his clinical practices that like he very likely saw that, that, that idea affirmed in the clinical practice, but like, it's, it's just a question of like, like, I, or maybe, maybe it's like you, you could, you could invert it one way or the other. Like he saw this thing happen in his clinical practice and he approached those texts or he had those texts and then he saw this in his clinical practice and it, it informed the theory. Like it, I, I think he it sounds like uh, wanted to make it seem like it was the 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 other way around that like it, it, it the, the clinic was of, determinative exactly yeah it was yeah. determinative of the theory but it's probably more likely probably that, not but but yeah. it is true that like if you like one way it's 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 manifested in the clinic would be the notion of interminable analysis right so yeah, right, Freud's right, right. very late text this is this penultimate text analysis terminable and interminable. I mean, there's a way in which that's articulating this same idea from the perspective of analysis, that if mm-hmm. if analysis really is interminable, it's because it's coming up against what's primordially repressed. Right, right. So like how could, right, how do you, how is, this is a, uh, this is a gap that cannot be bridged. This is a gap that um, one reconciles oneself to. Right, and doesn't Freud, yeah. right, and I think doesn't Freud put it in this way, like the, th- the thing we can't get over for men is we can't get over their ultimate fear of castration and mm-hmm. we can't, and women can't get over their ultimate desire for a penis. Like, okay, he's put it in a terrible way. Yeah. But, <laughs> right. but what he's saying is that the problem of castration is a problem for, bo- for both, but what he, I think what he misses is the way in which, uh, you know, he wants to attribute castration. He doesn't see the way in which the male subject is hiding castration, denying mm-hmm. castration, rather than avoiding it. Right? Like right, that's the. Right. I mean, he does. He he understands that throughout his theory. But when mm-hmm. he wants to talk specifically about male sexuality, I think he really he 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 fails because he doesn't understand that that there castration's already happened that's interesting yeah like the the no so that's why i mean this is why it's important to see how it is um like well how it is is fundamental and primary rather than like i mean i I think 
well, I mean, this, we maybe skipped over this because it's probably like, you know, obvious, um, or I, I hope maybe not obvious. I hope apparent for, for people following along that like, um, you know, castration doesn't happen later, right? It's just, it is the, the condition for like anything to happen <laughs> for, for speaking, for speaking beings. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, I think that's, this is a, I think you have to say this is a point at which Lacan has a real advance on Freud because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Freud sees castration anxiety as, you know, pointing to a real, not a real, obviously, like a mm-hmm. threatened possibility. Mm-hmm. And, and he doesn't view it as constitutive, I think, in the way that Lacan does. So right, I think right, that, right. and I think that's because of, you know, that's where the structural linguistic, uh, you know, background, I think helps him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's, um, this is like just a, um, a, a, like a selfish point from, from me is, uh, another, like, I, I also like to think about this as, um, constituting it or rather like, um, this also supports, what Lacan is trying to theorize vis-a-vis um, seriality and, and gaps and these, and these, uh, I mean, even like Aleka used the word gaps and like she used the word gaps a ton in, in, um, in what does. Is sex. Yeah. 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 And I, and I think that this is like, if this is my, my hobby horse on uh, for like pushing a reading of, of Lacan that is really focused on these constitutive gaps and that they, um, or, and I mean, she, she has the, the, the great, I think the, uh, there's a nice metaphor and phrase that occurs throughout her text about like curving, like it's a, like an absence that like it, it curves right. signification right. around it. Right. And, um, he, you know, I, many, many podcasts ago, I talked about how, you know, he talks about this in the addendum to the Perlian letter, uh, lecture where, you know, he's kind of saying the same thing through logic about coin flips and, and, and about how that there is a, like a gap through which structure, emerges and he doesn't talk about castration there. Um, but when he does talk about like castration as being this constitutive thing, he's also not talking about this, like this, this logic, this like almost like mathematical logic to it. That, but I think they do exactly the same thing. Right. And, I, and, and, uh, yeah. And, and they're, they're both ways of, again, be of him being a, a structuralist of the real, I think. Yeah. That's yeah. I like you. Got to really pound that term home. I really like that. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah, it's good. It's good. I mean, I think too that 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 the key is once you see the 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 centrality of the missing signifier, Mm -hmm. the key is to think how does one respond to it, and Mm -hmm. you know, castration is like how the attitude that one takes up to castration is that ends up being really determinative for your existence, right? Like the, the, the Lacan's notion is that you can, you can take up one of these two positions relative to castration and they're not necessarily biologically determined. Right. 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 Which I think is a key thing that, that, mm-hmm. that sex, sex division is structural rather than biological. And I think that's a key thing. And then, and then how one responds to that signifier that's missing. And I think the, the, the point of psychoanalysis to radically reverse the privilege because the point is that to be a woman is to recognize castration through, through this, you know, covering of it mm-hmm. and, and the way, and, and masculinity is on the other hand, just the denial of castration. So, so masculinity is much more a lie 
Lacan thinks than mm-hmm. femininity is. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think that that um, I I think actually like what you just said. I I had a um, I, I wrote this thing a while ago that I just remembered that um, I just remembered I have sitting on my computer somewhere about like uh about True Detective and like um. Uh, I, I think I made it, I wrote this thing about like it constituting some like a, a Hegelian kind of masculinity or something. I don't know if, uh-huh. it's, if it's if it's worth me sending to you so you could see. I don't even know, but uh, if you agree with me or not. But um, when I wrote that, this is the whole reason I'm bringing this up is um, I did uh, I delved a, a lot into um, masculinity studies, and that's a big what you what you just said is like a core tenant to it like there's not there's no from what i saw and 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 i could be missing someone huge and, and like a group of texts but from what i saw castration was not a word that was used but it was kind of it was the point of so many articles that i read which was it, it, that people were saying without saying uh like you know hiding from castration is at the at the core of like you know uh performances of masculinity and things yeah, like that. Yeah, fascinating. Like yeah. 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 I think that's right. I mean that's that seems like that has to be right. But then then the, the correlate is that femininity and what's interesting is that the feminine position of masquerade is actually the way like dressing up is I think that's right that it is a way of covering castration, but it's a way of covering it that actually avows it. Yeah. You know like yeah. clothes avow and, and, you know, Alenka has this, or not Alenka, sorry, Jennifer Friedlander, I've talked about it before, I think, uses this example of of the the bald man who who wears a toupee versus the bald man who just wears a hat. And mm-hmm. her point is that's the difference between male imposture and feminine masquerade. So I think that mm-hmm. those two, like the one, the one is trying to really act like you have it Right. Whereas the other one, it's clear you don't have it, right. but you're just covering it over. You're covering it up. Yeah. 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 So I think yeah. that's a that's an interesting way to think of it. And then you know, like that, everything ends up mad, depending on the the relationship that we have to castration, right? Like mm-hmm. that ends up orienting our entire subjectivity. Absolutely. Yeah. That's. I mean, yeah. and I I think. Uh, well, I mean, is that the is that the conclusion of our um, of our foray into the uh, the missing signifier? Well, I want to talk about one thing oh, one before thing. we okay. stop. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, that so Alenka says that you, the response to this to the missing signifier uh, can involve or should involve, let's say, the creation of a new signifier. Oh yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. And so I I guess I find that interesting. I and 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 for her. Like her example is, you love this example. Is, uh, <laughs> I do. Is uh, you want to say it since you love it? Yeah, so much. it's a it's a um, a pet name, or I, I don't think she uses that. I mean, she says like a love a love name, like the 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 thing that you call your partner. That's not like baby or honey, but something specific, and name something in the relationship that like only like you know the lo- the love partner could could see in in the other person. And so she, she, th- and I think, um, like some many episodes back, I, I, I brought up, um, Adam's rib and, um, uh, Spencer Tracy and, um, uh, Catherine Hepburn, they call each other pinky, but it's spelled differently. One is I E right. and one is Y at the end. Right. And that's important. Right. <laughs> the, the, like what, what right. anyway, so. But she wants uh, to also tie it to politics, right? Like that she thinks that political, 
I don't know, like the, the theoretical basis for a political revolution is the creation of a new signifier. Yeah, I think I... I think I'm with you on this. I don't think I'm, I don't know. Maybe my positions change, but like, cause you're, okay. I'm very so critical seem, of this. Yeah. 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 Well, there seem yeah. to be two, there seems to be two positions, I think, which is that, um, and a, the, a lot of different psychoanalytic like clinicians and theorists write about this, that like, um, do we need new master signifiers? Right. This is this thing. Right. Or, and I think this is your position. I'll, I'll sum it up this way. Do we just need to disinvest from master signifiers? Right. And right. as, as a way toward like, like, um, political, um, revolution and right. Her example, her political yeah. example is Marx's invention of the term class struggle, right? Like right. her, her, her idea is like that really changes the deal fundamentally. Yeah. And if and we, we didn't have, yeah, go ahead. Well, no. And I, I think that the last time that we talked about this, that what we, what we came to was there's a bit of a problem though, is that you, that's Class struggle is not a signifier without a signified, and that's what right. the master signifier is. And it's 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 a it's a it's a it's a slippage that happens a lot when people use the phrase master signifier because they they're using it more in like a Laclauian way. Is that right? Yeah, and that's right. No, I think that's yeah. right. I think it's right. And and they're not getting at that it has to have no clear signified, but class struggle definitely has a signified. I think that's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the question is like, can I think this is the question and that gets raised by this whole missing signifier discussion. Can you mm-hmm. as a, have your politics oriented around the missing signifier or do you have to create some kind of new master mm-hmm. to restructure things? And I think that's the real, to me, that's the real question. And I think, I guess my position would be the former, that Mm -hmm. you can structure your politics around the missing signifier itself, around absence, and just like you said, like disinvest in any master signifier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which I, yeah, and I I think that's a possibility, at least. Yeah, I think... um and maybe this splits the two positions. I mean, we're going to talk about this in uh, an episode, another episode on universality. Universality two, electric boogaloo. Um, <laughs> That's right. Where, where I think that there um, are signifiers, points that quilt uh, a that can quilt a, a movement or or feeling. And and I think perhaps, and again, this is why I say it, it splits, is that the um, there can be quilting signifiers that they. They just signify this absence. They are themselves like actual, like I think Trump quilts a kind of uh, st- structural dissatisfaction uh, in this this country. And it is all like I've, I've said before in this podcast that he makes this like racist white supremacist project like actionable, like through like legislation in a way that before Trump was not really like you didn't really see it in America. Right, right. Um, but that same kind of um, some, not the same kind of, sorry, the, some of that, uh, that passion and dissatisfaction that you see with, you know, uh, supporters of like Sanders or Ocasio-Cortez or Ilan Omar, you know, uh, that, that, it, that quilts it differently. And it, 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 it move, you know, like it's, uh, you just see the, um, you, you, you see the structural, uh, 
uh, problems as emanating uh, from a different source. In the one case, you know, you're identifying um, issues with uh, capitalism. And in the other, oh, the problems with capitalism is just too much immigrants, right? Like that seems to be, you know, that's always the problem. So I think that that there's a, um, it's, I don't know. It, there, there, there are different ways of, uh, of 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 quilting that. So I wouldn't, and I don't think that that's, I don't think that's inventing a new new signifiers. I think that's like finding the uh, finding the periods that end the sentence. Right. I like that idea a lot. That you that you're you're quilting differently yeah. rather than inventing something new. I think that's. Yeah. I think there's something really. T- I mean, I think you and I might differ about what that. The implications of that are, but I do mm-hmm, think mm-hmm. that the, I agree with you that there's a real political benefit to fighting about the quilting point, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's, yeah. I mean, look, that's what like Hitler's real great achievement was to install the Jew as the Germans' quilting point, yeah. right? And then once yeah. that was installed as the quilting point, then then the Holocaust it it just happened because of that because everybody thought. Mm-hmm. They, they, he convinced people that that was their that in order to have German identity, we needed this opposition of the Jew, and that if right. we don't, you know, that and destroying the Jew is then requisite for constituting German identity. And once you think that, then you know, then you can, you know, the 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 you can look at horrible things happening and think that they're not horrible. Yeah, you you find the the um, the high. It's oh well, it's hard for a higher cause, right? And that, right, yeah. right, exactly, exactly. Which which I don't think is, you know, I don't think it's always wrong. Like I think there are certain higher causes that really are higher cause. Obviously, not Nazism, but yeah. but I mm-hmm. think there, you know, not that we should shoot anybody for them, but I do think there are higher causes that we all agree we would sacrifice for. Like we're doing it right now. We're sacrificing in the name of a higher cause. Right, right. Even Where, and then, and, well, no, and then you see, well, so no, that, that I think this is important because the staying at home and staying inside is for the the higher cause of like eventually being able to be together, like again, and to have a society. And then there's another uh, fight over this that like, oh no, this is oppressive, um, and actually, uh, sure, people might die, but the sacrifice is for a greater cause. It's called capitalism. Right, right. right so, right, right. so it's what cause you want to yeah. sacrifice for. I think yeah. that's right. I think it's right. Yeah. I think it's right. Okay, Ryan. I think that's. Okay. Uh, I think it's pretty good. I, 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 I'm. I'm. I'm tempted to say that the lesson is just read what is sex. Oh uh, right? yeah. Well, that makes sense. I think. Uh, I think so. Do you, you have a different lesson? Do you have a different lesson? Um, well, I think uh, people should, if they've never seen at least the trailer to Breaking to Electric Boogaloo, they should watch it. It's on YouTube. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pass. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. Over and out, Ryan. Over and out, Todd.